Right. Today's daf is daf chavav in Meseches Chagiga, our second to last daf. Uh, we got on to the top of daf chavav, but we're going to back up to the Mishnah on the bottom of Chafei Yom Beis, so that we can restart the sugya. All right. We're going we're gonna to restart the sugya. Here we go. Yeah, we'll restart the Mishnah. Four lines to the bottom of the Yom. Get ready for a fun, fun ride on today's daf. So many beautiful and powerful topics. Let us get going. Says the Mishnah, from Maidim towards Yerushalayim, So we trust Amaratim to tell us that an earthenware vessel is Tahar. From Maidim outwards, we do not believe in Amaras to tell us that earthenware vessels are Tahar. Ketzad. So give me an example, says the Mishnah. What's the case? Hakador, you have somebody who made a pot, an earthenware pot. Shumaycher Akaderis, and he's selling his pots. So Nichnas Lefinim and if he comes in to Modiim, who Hakador, Vehem Hakaderis, Vehem Halaychim, both the manufacturer, the pot itself, the consumer, the buyer, Nemon are all trusted to tell us that it is tar. Yatsa, but if he left my diem and he's going in the other direction away from Yerushalayim, Enoi Neman, we do not trust him. Now, we'll give a little preface as to what's going on over here. All right, what's happening? Yesterday, unfortunately, we didn't have time. We were, uh, you know, we were wrapping it up, but now, Baruch Hashem, at least in the beginning of the daf, you know, we spend a little bit of time. So, Rashi kicks in and tells us something very, very interesting, and that is to keep the beauty of Yerushalayim. They did not allow any furnaces, or in our example, a kiln, to make earthenware pots. And therefore, earthenware pots were not common. They weren't easy to come by. That's point number one near Yerushalayim and in Yerushalayim. Point number two is, an earthenware pot that becomes Tamei cannot, you cannot be metaherit. Right? There's no way to make it tar. You have to break it. So earthenware pots in, in, a, in a pottery in the area of Yerushalayim and in its immediate surroundings were very, very precious. We needed to be very delicate with how we handled it with Tumantara. And therefore, when it came to being near Yerushalayim, particularly a Cheres, we trusted Amaratzim. Because we, if Rashi explains, like if we wouldn't trust Amaratzim, it would be too difficult of a rabbinic decree that everything they touch is tummy in Yerushalayim. Mm-hmm. Because so many things you end up with a problem. You understand? Mm-hmm. They're, they're rare. Plus, it's like, forget it. I mean, it, it, you, you, you need to allow earthenware vessels to exist. People needed it. So from the fact that you weren't allowed to make in Yerushalayim to keep the beauty, you weren't allowed kilns and furnaces because otherwise there'll be soot everywhere, so therefore the walls and precious Jerusalem stone needed to remain, Reb Robert's back for the first time live in a while, back from the Haile Garrett's Yisrael, it's a holy place, it's beautiful to keep the beauty, so they wouldn't create these things, Memela, therefore we have this leniency for Yerushalayim and its immediate surroundings up until Modiim, okay, that's the Mishnah, let's get into the Gemara, says the Gemara, Modiim, what about the city of Maidim itself? We said from Maidim toward Jerusalem, we trust them. From Maidim away from Jerusalem, we do not trust them. What about the city itself? Says the Gemara, It depends. Sometimes it's like Jerusalem, and sometimes it's not. Ketzad, what do you mean? Kadar Let's say the, the, the manufacturer 
is um, is uh, Yaitze. He is coming into Modiyim from the Rushalayim side. V'chavar nichnas, and you have a chavar who wants to buy it. He's coming in. Now he's careful with the laws of Tomatar. He's coming in from outside Rushalayim. Kilifnim. That it's going to be tahar. We rely on the, the fact that the manufacturer is coming from the Rushalayim area. Therefore, it remains tar. Shneim nechnasim. What if they're both entering my diem from the other side of Yerushalayim? Not from Yerushalayim, but from the outside, top of today's daf. Or they're going from my diem to Yerushalayim, kalachotz. Then it's going to be tamay. Okay. And Mamela, somebody who's careful about the laws of Tomantara, should not buy this earthenware vessel. Amr Abayabai says, no, we even learned this in a Mishnah. The Mishnah says, When you have a, a potter, a person who makes pots, he sells his pots. And then he goes in toward Jerusalem. So, we, what are we saying in the Mishnah? We trust the guy, we trust him, we trust the pot, the pot itself and the consumer. The reason why we believe him is because he's inside of the area of Maidiyim. Oh, Maidiyim Gufa. But what about the city of Maidiyim itself? We do not trust him. But then Ema Seva. Yeah, so if you look, there's a, there's a classic uh, Gemara of observation on a Mishnah. If you look at it one way, it seems the city's okay. If you look at it from the other way, it seems the city's not okay. So we're stuck. What inference should we make from the words of the Mishnah to which the Gemara answers? Which uh, uh, the Gemara answers, and this is Abaye proving his point. Rather, you see from here, it must be that we can't just look at the maker of the pot; we have to also look at the consumer. So, when the kadar is leaving from the inner side and the chaver is coming in from the outer side. So then we say, he's trusted. But if they're both coming into my DM from either direction, either from Yerushalayim or from the outside of Yerushalayim, then we assume it's going to be Tamei. This is a very solid proof. Period. End of Abaye's idea. Okay, so the bottom line is, let's just review outside. What did we just learn? The Mishnah said, from Yerushalayim up until my DM, Tohar. From my diem to the outside, tame. We say, what about my diem itself? That was the Shail of the Gemara, to which the Gemara answers. You can't just look at the city itself. You also need to look at the direction that the people are coming from into the city. Okay, everybody's in agreement with that. Beautiful. Tana, we learned in a brisa. Nemonim b'klicheres hadakin lakaidesh. In Amaretz is trusted about about uh, Kaidesh, earthenware vessels. Okay? So they're trusted about Kaidesh, earthenware vessels. Where are they in general not trusted? Outside Yerushalayim? On Truma. Let's go. This is only talking about a vessel that you can carry one-handed. Yeah? Cool guy. <laughs> you ride your bike with one hand, right? Rabbi Echanan says... This applies even if it cannot be carried with one hand. Now, what's this one-handed thing? What does that do? So one-handed means it's not such a large vessel. Two hands, if it's a larger vessel, you're going to need two hands, and um, that, then we're going to be strict, and we're not going to trust an Amaaretz 
to tell me that a large vessel is tahar. Amar Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish explains. Laishanu The Chacham only said this when the, when the vessels are empty. But let's say you have vessels that are full. Guess what? We never trust an Amaretz to tell us that these Kodesh vessels are tahar. We do not trust him if it's full. We'll see soon why it makes a difference whether there's something in there. Rabbi Yechanan argues on his beloved brother-in-law, Rish Lakish, and Rabbi Yechanan says, No, even if the vessels are full, and even if he has his apikarsusai, which is some sort of, of uh, clothing, is inside the vessel. These things are stamazai mekabal even then, we, uh, even then we trust him. Now, what's going on over here? So the Shaila over here is, well, you know, let's, let's listen to Rava, wrap up the Gemara, and then we'll explain. Rava says, will agree that any liquid inside the vessel itself, no matter what, the, no matter what happens with the vessel, the liquid inside the vessel is going to be tame, even though the vessel itself is tar. Valtatama. And you're going to say, ah, how can you have a vessel that's, t- how can you have a vessel that's one status? And whatever's inside the vessel has a different status. It's touching each other. He says, don't be in wonder about that. You know why? Shari login malay mashkin. Could you find other cases if you have a vat filled with drinks? Login tumayim tumashiva. You could find that the vat itself is tumay umashkin tahirin while the, the drink inside is tahar. This is a case where if you have a dead body in one room and there's a hole to another room and you place a wooden vat over that hole, so the wooden vat's going to become tummy. But lemaisa, it's going to protect, practically speaking, it's going to protect the liquid inside of it. So the vat's going to have one status, liquid will have a different status. Hence, you could, well, the reason why Rub is bringing this down is to prove that you can have the same thing over here. You can have a, a um, earthenware vessel that has one status and whatever inside of it is a different status. So now let's bring this full circle. I can possibly trust the Amaretz to tell me that either the earthenware vessel or what's in it is Tahar, even if I'm not going to trust him on, on uh, the other one. Okay, so if I'm going to trust him on what's inside, even if I can't trust him on the, the barrel itself, we'll still do that. You can separate the two. You can separate the halacha of the, you know, of the earthenware vessel and whatever is inside the earthenware vessel. So bottom line, let's just wrap this up. The Brisa had said, let's, get, let's bring this full circle, the Brisa had said that Namaretz is trusted about uh, smaller vessels, but not larger vessels. Reish Lakish says, by the way, what's big and small, it has to do with whether you can carry it with one hand. And then Reish Lakish says, also, by the way, this whole halacha is dealing with empty Vessels, but if the vessels has something in it, we do not trust the Amaretz. Rabbi Yechonon says we do trust the Amaretz, and even if he, even if uh, you're not going to trust him on what's inside, we can still trust him on the barrel itself. Period. End of that conversation, and now we start a brand new Mishnah. Okay. Now, keep in mind, we said anytime you have an Amaretz, there's going to be a fascinating Mishnah in Gemara. Follow along; it'll be a lot of fun. We said an Amaretz is trusted in Yerushalayim, right? To say that something's tar, we don't give an automatic status of Tameh. Listen to this. 
Hagaboyim. A gabai. What's a gabai? Says Rashi. A Jewish tax collector in a non-Jewish society. A guy who's hired by the IRS to go around collecting taxes. He is permitted to walk inside the house. According to law, he's allowed to walk inside the house to see whether you filed your taxes appropriately. He could check out what you bought, what you own, your, all, the, you know, all the value you're declaring. See, he's allowed to walk into a house. Now, generally, Zatrashi, these tax collectors were Amaratsim. So they're going to walk around, you know, touching everything in your house, and they're Amaratsim. Okay? We'll see soon what the halacha is with your stuff. The chain and similarly, Haganovim, a thief, Shehechziru Eshakelim, who returns what he stole. We're going to see in the Gemara, it means on its own accord. He's doing tshuva. Ne'emonim Laimar, he's both the tax collector and the thief. Returning the lost object is believed to say, Laimaganu, what we touched and what we didn't touch. Okay? Now, this is only true when it comes to Kodesh. When it comes to things in my house that are Kodesh, I can ask, I can ask the Jewish tax collector or the Ganav who stole, I could say, did you make it tummy? What'd you touch? And whatever they tell me, I could trust them. This is not true by Truma. If I have Truma in my house and they walked in or they stole it, I can't trust them. I have to assume it's automatically tummy because they're Amaratsim. So this is another stringency that Truma has over Kodesh. Okay. Ubi Yerushalayim, and in Yerushalayim itself, Ne'emonim ala Kodesh, Amaratsim, are trusted about Kodesh, Ubishas HaRegel, and Yomtiv time, Af al HaTruma, they're even trusted to tell me what is Tahar, and what is Tameh as far as Truma is concerned. So we're more strict on Truma. By Kodesh, we trust the Amaretz year-round. By Truma, we only trust him during a specific time of the year. Okay. Says the Gemara. V'ramin will ask you contradiction. These tax collectors that walk into your house, Habayas Kulay Tame, the entire house is automatically Tame. What did we say in the Mishnah? We trust the tax collectors to tell me what they touched and what they didn't touch. So why is that? But elsewhere we have a Mishnah which says that everything's automatically Tame, well, no matter what they tell me. Answers the Gemara like Kasha. There's no question. It depends if this Jewish tax collector coming around for the IRS has a non-Jewish um, counterpart with him. What's the difference? So the Gemara explains. The Tanan, because there's a Mishnah which tells us, Im yesh nachri imahem, if there's a non-Jew with the Jew, then they're, they're trusted to say what they touched and what they didn't touch. We're not going to trust them to say that we went into the house but we didn't touch anything. So we're going to believe them to say which areas of the house they went into. But if they tell us they went into a specific area, it's automatically Tomei, and we're not going to trust them to tell me what they touched. Okay, now, what the obviously needs understanding is, what does it make a difference if there's a non-Jew with the Jew? Lamai nafkamino, who cares? So ask the Gemara, 
If the Jewish tax collector has a non-Jewish counterpart with him, who cares? Why does that make it that I can no longer trust the Gabai? I can no longer trust the tax collectors. Again, our Mishnah says you trust the tax collector. Why? What did we just explain? Because there's no non-Jew with him. When there's no non-Jew with the Yid, we'll trust the Yid to tell me. But if there's a non-Jew with him, oh, not trusted. What's the Nafkamin? No, who cares? The Gemara explains. Rabbi Yechonah and Rabbi Lazar, Machlekosin Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Yechonah and Rabbi Yolazar. Chad Omar, Amos, Nachri, Aleim. One says, because the Jewish tax collector is nervous about the non-Jewish tax collector hurting him. Very often, Jews who were tax collectors were playing second fiddle. They weren't fully trusted by the non-Jewish governments. And therefore, if he messed around, if the Yid messed around and he wasn't completely honest, he would get into, a, he didn't go around and, and check every last detail out. The Gaiyush guy is going to hurt him. The Chanam, our other opinion is, no, the reason why if a guy is there, we don't trust the Yid is, Emas Malchus Alem. It's because he's nervous about the government itself. Not, he's not nervous about his counterpart. My benayu, what's the practical difference about whether he's scared of his counterpart or whether he's scared of the government? It's a Gemara, very easy. I'll tell you a practical difference. What if the guy that he's going around with is secondary to the Yid? Right? So if the guy is secondary to the Yid, the Yid's not concerned about the guy snitching. He's not concerned about it. And therefore, we should trust the Jew to tell us what he touched and what he didn't touch. However, if it's all about the fear of government, then no matter what no matter what position the guy has, he's always concerned about the government. Period. Two dots. Okay. Now, the next part of the Mishnah we said is we trust Aganif. Listen closely. This is such a precious Gemara. We trust Aganif to who's returning the vessels to tell us what he touched. This guy is a thief. And we're trusting him. Listen to this Gemara. For many, why are we trusting a thief? I'll ask you a contradiction. If a thief walks into your house, the only area that's tame is any rooms that the Ganov went into. Okay? Now, what that means is, any room they go into, we assume tuma. If they didn't go into a room, we don't. You know why? You know the difference between, by the way, Rashi explains What's the difference between a ganav and a tax collector? A tax collector is permitted to go wherever they want. A ganav is only going to enter certain areas of your home so he doesn't encounter the balabayas. Right? The ganav doesn't want to meet the homeowner or else he's busted. So a ganav, even if he went into one room, we could still assume he didn't go into the other bedroom. Because ganavim don't walk all over the house. They only walk into the house, the parts of the house where they won't get caught, okay? But you still see that any room that a Ganav did go into automatically has a status of Tumah. Whether or not he tells us afterwards what he touched. Amar of Pinchas Mishmei de Rava, Rav Pincha answers in the name of Rava, Kisha Asu Tshuva. You know why we're trusting him? Because this Ganav is no longer a Ganav. This Ganav is doing true is doing teshuva dekanami. If you infer this is the case as well, dektani uh, because it says shehechziru esakelim. This Ganav is returning the kelim shmamina. So you learn from here that that's why we're trusting this type of Ganav to tell us what he trusted. Because lemaisa, practically speaking, 
he's no longer a Ganav. Now this is such this is such a holy thing. You have somebody, you have a Jew, who slips in such a terrible way. But as far as Tuma and Tara is concerned, he's still careful. He's still careful. Okay? I, I've said, I've spoken out previously. I have two things to share. I've spoken out previously one thing, which is Maisa Shahoya. Um, I, I have a family member. I have a family member that their home was broken into in Harnof, Shabbos afternoon, while they were out at lunch. And they came back, and they had many, many things that were stolen from the home. The first thing the cops picked up on is they said it was for sure a Jewish group of guys. It wasn't Arabs. How did they know? Because there was not a single Sefer Kadosh on the floor. These people had gone in and ransacked the home. This, this couple, this family of mine, the Mechutanim, they, they were, there were things strewn all over the place. Not a single holy book was on the floor. And the cops knew. They said, that, okay, these Yidin steal, but they're careful with the Sefer Kadosh. Wow. Careful with the Sefer Kadosh. Incredible. You could be terrible in one way. Epis, there's a thing. I'm still careful about Tum and Tara. I'm still careful in that way. Interesting. That was like their first clue as to, uh, as to who to look after. It's, it's, it's so sad and so beautiful at the same time. Where a Yid is just always a Yid. It's always the same. And I want to share, there's a Maishish a, a a wild, wild story. I don't know the, the deepest message of it. There's a Maishish The story happened a few years ago. I'll leave out all the details for the sake of time. All the details aren't necessary, but there was a young man who came from a totally broken home from the time he was very, very young. No parents. He ended up growing up on the streets in, in northern Israel, and he ended up earning a living stealing um, luxury cars. He learned how to steal luxury cars, like big-time luxury cars. Um, and... There was one, one day, he was very successful. One day he was outside on one of the, near one of the main highways and he sees a luxury car, like an Aston Martin, some sort of, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars type of car. And he, he's picked this thing time and time again. This is quick cash for him. Ain't no thing. No big deal. He walks over to the car, gets inside within two minutes. He starts driving he looks in his rear view mirror. Two minutes later, there's a car seat in the back seat. There's a car seat. It's a summer day. He quickly pulls over. He looks in the back. There's a baby out cold. A hundred degree car. These parents had left their child in the car. He steals the car. And this kid's blue. He's flipping. He's a thief, he's not a murderer. He gets back in the car, he floors that baby, and he's, he's at the nearest hospital within two and a half minutes. He's at the nearest hospital, he rushes the baby inside, hands the baby over to the doctors, they come out 15 minutes later, they say, you know, Dad, you're lucky, this kid, this kid almost lost his life, but Baruch Hashem will be okay. And this guy says, I'm not the dad. They say, who are you? He said, they say, who's this kid? He says, I don't know. They say, who are you? 
So he says, I'll tell you the truth. I was walking by the I was walk I was walking by a car. I saw a baby locked inside. I'm a locksmith. I'm a locksmith. So I picked the lock of this car. I got in. I know how to do this stuff. And I said, I don't know. I don't know anything about the family. I don't know anything about them. Anyway, he, they go back out to the car. They pull out of the glove compartment the registration. And they find the names of the parents. Gavaldi, the parents come down. And this guy's the local hero. There's a wealthy family from uh, Rishon Lezion. And this, this Ganev, this, low, this 24-year-old lowlife who, who never earned an a honest penny in his life is, is the local uh, locksmith, uh, Tzaddik, who saved their kid's life. So the father says, what can, I, what can I do for you? He's like, nothing. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm a Tzaddik. You know? <laughs> He's like, he wants to get out of there as fast as he could. He's just happy this kid didn't die under his watch. The father says, listen, listen, do me a favor. He says, if you're not going to let me give you anything, he says, I'm a well-off guy, do me a favor, come to my wife and I for Shabbat. Come for Shabbat. We have a big house, we have two kids, we got plenty of space, come spend Shabbat. He says, I don't know Shabbat from this, that, nothing. I don't know Shabbat man. He says, come on, come on. Takes a few months, a few months later, finally, they, he, they, you know, they're texting, eh? finally he shows up to this, this couple's house for Shabbat. Okay. He comes in, he goes to shul Friday night, you know. This guy's walking around, introducing him to the Rav and everybody else as this, this tzaddik, he saved our kid's life, mamish. This guy's eating himself up inside because he knows that he was just trying to earn a quick 300 grand. In the meantime, he was stuck with this baby, okay. He has a beautiful Shabbos, beautiful Shabbos. Comes time for Mariv Matzei Shabbos and... The Rav of the Shul, it was a Svartic Shul, Chacham, he walks over to him and he says, I want to thank you for spending Shabbat with us. It's so nice, you know, and Kaddish Baruch Hu put you into the right spot. You must be a very special person. And, uh, you know, to, to have this chus to save a child's life is incredible. You know, just basically saying goodbye to him, whatever. So this, this young man, he writes this story. He says, at that point, he said, I told the Rav, I got to go talk to you in your office. He says, I got to talk to you in your office. Says, okay, sits down in the Rav's office and he spills himself. He says, I got to tell you the truth. He says, here's the story. And he tells him everything that went down. And he says, I'm not here. So the Chacham looks at him and he says, okay, but God makes good things happen through good people. You must have some sort of schus in your life, some sort of merit in your life that somehow, somewhere gave you the opportunity to save the life of another Jew. And he says, Kvodarav, nothing. I never lived in a house. I lived on the streets. All I know how to do is steal. I have nothing good. He says, well, you're not leaving my office till you think of something, you, something good that you do. He says, I believe the words of Chazal. I believe the words of sages. You're not leaving my office till you figure this out. And this guy sits there. Until he says, listen, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you, but there is one way I think I'm pretty cool. I think I'm a pretty good guy. He says, tell me. He says, he says I want to tell you something. Every single car I steal, listen to this, is wild. He says, I've, stole, I've stolen dozens of cars. Every single car I steal, as soon as I you know, get back to wherever I bring the car to, 
I empty the entire car from all personal belongings. I drive a few hours, so nobody knows where it's coming from, to a post office. And I mail back all the personal items in an unmarked box because their car will be covered by insurance. And I don't care about insurance companies. But their private things, let them have it back. So I steal their car. They'll be reimbursed. But any personal items, a car seat, uh, eyeglasses, I'm careful to send back. You hit his mice. And the Kham tells me, he says, that's probably your schos. They had a whole, a, a whole to do. And this young man tells him, he says, you should know that I, I need, he tells this rough, he says, I need to spend time with you. I don't know the end of the journey. I don't know if maybe he's still on a journey. I heard this happened about four or five years ago. But um, this young man basically told the Rav, he says, I, I'm, so, I'm so torn between who I always thought I was and the way this, this family is presenting me. I loved so much and I feel so, so connected with them presenting me like a tzaddik. I feel like I'm connected to that life now. And he wanted to like learn a little bit and stay. I don't know if he has a, you know, he's not this big rabbi right now, you know, whatever it is. But what do you see from this? Why do I spend a few minutes on the story? What, what is this? You, you, a yid, you see in the Gemara, he's a ganav, he's a this, he's a that. A yid is a yid. There's always going to be a part of this yid, whether it comes to Tumantara, whether there's another part, I'm not going to hurt you. The, uh, the, there's, there's this spark. That you you pause, you just can't get rid of. Okay, let's keep going. And when it comes to the Yom Tovim, a a um, a is believed even by. I'm sorry, I skipped. I skipped the two dots. Yeah, and Yerushalayim, he's believed on Kodesh. They're they're trusted about a large klicheres that is kaidesh. So anybody, whether or not you're careful about about shuma or kaidesh, is allowed to buy. You're allowed to assume it's tahar. V'kolkach lama says Gemara. The reason we gave before, why are we lenient in Yerushalayim? She'ain nice and give shinas Yerushalayim because they didn't have these furnaces and kilns to make earthenware pottery, and therefore we had to allow amaratzim to sell their. Uh, to sell their earthenware to everybody. Otherwise, otherwise uh, you wouldn't have earthenware vessels. Okay. On Yomtif, listen to this, beautiful. On Yomtif, and Amaretz is trusted even by Truma, Menohani Mili. Why? What's the source? Amar Rabbi Shubin Levi, Domar Krog, says in the Pasuk, by Yosef Kolish Yisrael, all the clouds, all this talking about when everybody ganged up against Binyamin by the story of the Pilegesh Begiva, when Binyamin protected, Sheva Binyamin protected this guy, the, the, these people who, who raped this woman and murdered her. So the other Shvatim ganged, uh, ganged up uh, against Binyamin. It turned into a civil war, not a happy time in the history of Klai Yisrael. But when Klai Yisrael gathered together, the Pasuk says, they were ke'ish yachad Remember, chaverim means learned. When Klaizo gets together, everybody is learned. What a precious, what a precious message. On a holiday, when everybody's together, I may know nothing. But as long as I'm connected with good people, I also have the status of a learned person. I don't have to know everything. Just if I connect myself to Torah people, the holy people, people who are godly people. I'm also a chaver. Beautiful. Okay, says the Mishnah. 
A person opens up his barrel or begins selling his dough on Yom Tif. So now let's, this is a continuation of the last Mishnah. In the last Mishnah we learned that on a holiday, Amaratzim and Chaveirim are all considered Chaveirim. Everybody's considered learned. So, if an Amaratz on a Yom Tif touches wine, is that wine tummy? No. Because he's not Amaratz, he's a Chaver. Everybody in Yerushalayim on the Regal is considered to be a Chaver. Here's the Gemara's scenario though. Here's the Mishnah scenario. What about if I open up a barrel? I open up a barrel on the Yom Tev Kishmak and I don't use the whole barrel. What happens after Yom Tev? Now that a bunch of Amaratzim touched it on Yom Tev, Maybe it's Tomei after Yom Tif. Or do I say no? Since on Yom Tif, they're not really Amaratzim, even though they really are. But we consider them not to be, because they're to be Chaverim, so then it's still okay. So here we go. Rabbi Yudah says, Yigmar. You could finish selling your barrel and your dough, your wine and your dough, you consider it to be tar. That no, you have, once Yom Tif is over, you no longer have the leniency, and it's considered to be Tomei, period. Says the Gemara... Beautiful story. Yosef Ravami, Rabbi Yisak Navcha, Akilot Rabbi Yisak Navcha. Ravami was visiting Rabbi Yisak Navcha and they were sitting on his porch. And what did two Yidin do when they're shooting the breeze? Talking, learning. Yeah? It's the beauty of Dafyaimi. Beauty of Dafyaimi. No matter where we go in the world, we're in Eretz Yisrael, we're in Missouri, we're in California, we're in Colorado, we're across everywhere. Yeah? Baruch Hashem. What happens? We're all learning the same Torah. It's the beauty of Dafyami. Every year it goes, you talk and learning. So they were sitting and talking and learning. One of them starts, opens the conversation and he says, If you open up a barrel on one Yom Tif, can you keep it till the next Yom Tif and sell it? So the other one said, Everybody's uh, touching it on the Yom Tif. You're going to tell me you can keep it around? Of course it became Tama. You know how many Amaratsim touched it? She says, no, but they're not Amaratzim. Amarlei, atu Listen, even on Yom Tif, everybody's touching it, and we still said it's okay. So maybe after Yom Tif, it should, you know, it should keep its status. Amarlei, she responded to him, no, you can't compare everything to this. You know why? Until the Yom Tif was over, we were lenient on Amaratzim. But that's only until Yom Tif was over. But now it should be Tomei because the Yom Tif's over. So that's the Shaila. Okay? This is the back and forth. This is the, the conversation. And the Shaila is, we're lenient on the Yom Tif itself. If Amarat touches it, he's considered a Chaver. Everything's okay. But what about once the Yom Tif's over? We still don't know. So the Gemara says, Let's say that it is a Machlaikas Tanayim about whether you leave it till the next Yom Tif. Titani Chada, one Brysa said, you leave it till the next Yom Tif. Another Brysa says, my love Tanahi. So it seems, it's a Machlaikas Tanayim. Says the Gemara, no, it's not a Machlaikas Tanayim about whether you leave it till the Yom Tif. You know what that Machlaikas is? That's the Machlaikas of our Mishnah. The one who says that you leave it over till the next Yom Tif, that's Rabbi Yehuda. That's Rabbi Yehuda. What did Rabbi Yehuda say in our Mishnah? 
you could finish selling it after the yomtif. Now, notice it's not the exact expression, which the Gemara is going to question, right? Rabbi Yehuda said you could use it after the yomtif. Here it says, wait till next, wait till the next yomtif. That weren't, it wasn't exactly his words, which we'll question in a moment. And the Brisa which says that you're not allowed to leave it till the next Yomtif, that's the Rabbanon who say you cannot sell it once Yomtif is over. Says the Gemara, one second. That's not Rabbi Huda either. Vitizbra, is it logical what you're saying? Rabbi Huda says I can sell it as soon as the Yomtif is over. I don't even need to wait till another Yomtif. So the Gemara says, you're right. Not a good answer. So we're going to have a different attempt. The Brisa which says you do not set it aside is Rabbi Yehuda. Ooh. Now, what does it mean you don't set it aside? We're going to explain. You don't need to set it aside till the next Yom Tif because you could use it now. That's what he means. But it doesn't mean you're not allowed to. It means you don't need to wait till the next Yom Tif. That's the opinion of the Rabbanon. So what's Rabbi Huda's words? If don't leave it over. He says you can sell it right away. What does he mean? You don't need to put it aside. We could use it even now. Okay? Beautiful. Yeah, Clark? So we have a, we have a Gavaldic answer over here. All right, so the Maisa, we don't have a separate Machlaikas, we just have the original Machlaikas in our Mishnah between Rabbi Yudah and the Rabbana. So, bottom line, Rabbi Yudah holds that when Yom is over, you're allowed to sell it right away. You do not need to leave, to, you do not need to set it aside till the next Yom Tov. You can use it, you can use it right away. The Rabbana say, once Yom is over, you're done. They don't say you can hold it till the next Yom Correct. You're done. You're done. It's gone. That's it. Okay. That's right. That's right. We had thought there was the middle ground. Mm-hmm. Rabbi says, no, it's, you don't even need to wait until the next month. It could be even more makel than that. Gavaldik says the next Mishnah, Even though we trust the Amaretz on the holiday, on the Yom once the holiday is over, Ma'avirin al-Taras Azara. Listen to what happened. We're now getting into what happened in the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash cleared out. This is so, so fascinating. This is going to tell us part of like what went down following a Yom Tif. Millions of Yidin came to Yerushalayim and the Beis HaMikdash. As soon as Yom Tif is over, the Chasen is over. You know what they did? They emptied out the Beis HaMikdash and they took all, they assumed all of the vessels were Tameh. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because our last Mishnah said, Amaratzim have a Chazaka of being Chaveirim. Right? Still, still, we assume that some sort of tumma got on the vessels and all these Yidin are walking around and ooing and eyeing in the base Hamikdash. So they would take all the vessels and be metaherit and, and purify them. However, of our haregel liyayim shishi, if let's say the yomtif ended on a, uh, on a, uh, Thursday night, Friday. Okay? Means the last day of Yontif was Thursday. It ended on a Friday, on a Thursday night. They wouldn't start being busy with moving the vessels out to be metaherit because there was too much to do Lekavet Shabbos. There's too much to do Lekavet Shabbos. Hold on. Yeah. So because of Kavet Shabbos, they wanted to be able to set up the base of Mikdash and make it beautiful. So it's the wrong time to start you know, going above and beyond, you know, and being matar and things, so they would wait till Sunday. Rabbi Yehuda Aymer, Rabbi Yehuda says, listen to this, even if the first day after Yontif was a Thursday and they had two days, also they wouldn't be matar it, 
because the Kahanim were very, very busy. What, what does that mean? So, so uh, the Gemara says, Shor Gemara, Tana, Badeshan. From all the sacrifices that were brought, there were so many ashes that needed to be taken out that it took an entire day just to handle that. And then you had Friday where they got the Beis HaMikdash ready, Lekavet Shabbos. And therefore, they wouldn't be busy with, with uh, purifying all the vessels also till after Shabbos. Okay? So it's either Yom Shishi or Yom Hei. Okay? Because... It's a, t- it's a it's the base of Megdash. It's not selling. They weren't the the Amorites. They weren't. They were still worried that they would go in their tummy. Right. Rabbi saying it's mind blowing that the Amoratsim were still concerned that they were going to go in their tummy, and we give them a status of being a chaver. But you see from here the lumdus of it is so beautiful, and that is, and I, th- I think this is amazing. While they're there, sometimes you need to do this in life. Mm-hmm. While they're there. Absolute utmost honor. We don't want Jews not feeling comfortable in their house, in their relationship with their Banishad. Mm-hmm. So over Yamtif, we completely ignore any suspected Tumma. Mm-hmm. You're a Yid, come. But as soon as the show's over and people go home, the Beis Hamikdash goes back to its original standard. I don't say, sometimes that's as Yid, that's what we need to do, right? You have to understand, sometimes you have to change your standard, change your chumrah, change your stringency to make people feel comfortable. But when they're not there, you go back to what you're comfortable with. We trust them you go back to what you're comfortable with. We trust huh? the Kodesh in, in terms of, how, I don't want to take up the Kodesh. Huh? Well, trust the Kodesh, be right, but that's because it was necessary. It was necessary, so they don't feel uncomfortable. But over here, once everybody's gone, we'll be metahir everything. All right, let's go. We've got ground to cover. Says the Mishnah. So how would they be metahir on Taras Azar? They would be taival, the vessels in the base of lahem, And listen to this. They would say to the Amaratzim, they would say to everybody, Hizaharu, be careful, top of Amad Beis, Shilotigu B'Shulchan. You guys... You guys, meaning Aliyidin, everybody who comes into the base make this. Please make yourself at home. Do what you want, but one thing you cannot do: touch the shulchan because the shulchan cannot go into a mikvah. Yeah. So any, so you can do whatever you want, but don't touch the shulchan. All right. Says the Mishnah. By the way, every vessel in the base hamikdash had a backup and a backup of the backup. Why? In case the first one or the relief pitcher uh, become tummy, you have another one. Okay. Now you have another beautiful message here. At a certain point, you stop being nervous. You have your original one. You got your backup. You even have a backup of backup? Done. Three vaccines, you're done. You know, it's, you're protected. Okay, you're immune. Now, you move on. You don't need a fourth or a fifth. I'm not talking about vaccines. I'm just talking about <laughs> using it as an example. Okay. Um, Any vessel in the Mikdash needs Tvila in order to purify it. Except for the Mizbeach Hazav, the golden Mizbeach and the Mizbeach and the They do not need to be titled if a tummy person touches them. You know why? Very simple. Because they're considered earth. 
They're considered land. Something that's connected to the earth. This is a general rule. Something that's built and attached to the ground is not capable of becoming tummy. A building cannot become tummy. Divi Rebeliezer, this is the opinion of Rebeliezer. So the Mizbeach is considered a part of the building of the base of Mikdash, it's fine. The Chomrem, the Chom say, no. Bipnei Shehem Mitzufim. Because they're gold plated, that's why they're not tummy. Everybody's making a face here. That doesn't make any sense. Good. Kavaldik. The Gemara number Bays and tomorrow's daf also is going to change these words. There's going to be a dispute which words need to change, but you're right. To read the words like this uh, doesn't work out. It's not, uh, it doesn't work out. We'll, we'll see a change in it. Okay, fine. Be it as it may. What the Mishnah teach us that Amaratzim were allowed to walk around the base of Mikdash, but everybody was warned, don't touch the Shulchan because the Shulchan was not allowed to be titled. What about the Mizbechais? That's fine. They were allowed to be touched. Because they were considered part of the building. And a building, anything that's considered uh, attached to the ground, or the ground itself, is not capable of becoming tummy. Okay, he says the Gemara, The Brisa says, they would tell people, be careful not to touch the Shulchan and the Menaira. What did we say in our Mishnah? Be careful not to touch the Shulchan. So ask the Gemara, Why didn't our Tana say, list Menorah as well, that they were told not to touch the Menorah? Because that also couldn't be immersed. Says the Gemara, Shulchan Ksiv Bei Tamid. The Shulchan, it says the word Tamid. It had to be there consistently every single minute. Menorah, but by the Menorah, Lo Ksiv Batamid. The Menorah was, the, the Shulchan was not allowed to be moved at all because it had to consistently be there. So you couldn't even move it to immerse it. But the Menorah, it doesn't say the word Tamid. And therefore, um, and therefore it could be removed as far as that's concerned. Now, many of us who learned Parsha recently, yeah, what did we learn about the Menorah in the Mishkan? Yeah, the Menorah was also there. So Rashi is bothered by this. And Rashi says, it's true that it says the word Tamid, but Tamid by the Menorah meant the entire night. It didn't mean every minute of the day. The Shogun had to be at its place every minute of the day. The Tamid of the Menorah was, uh, was not mamish continuously. Okay, the Idach and the other opinion uh, which says that it was the menorah and the shulchan that they were that people were told not to touch. Why? Because the chsev bas menorah neichach shulchan. Since it says the menorah had to face the shulchan, command the chsev but tamidami. Well, if the menorah had to face the shulchan, well, guess what? If the shulchan wasn't there, the menorah is not facing nothing. And if the menorah is not there, the shulchan is not there. So the fact that the shulchan had to be there, that means the menorah had to be there at all times as well. Okay, fine. Says Gemara. So what's the other opinion going to do with that? The Idach, what's the other opinion going to do with the fact that the Menorah and the Shogun have to face each other? He says, it doesn't mean face each other every minute. It's telling me they should face each other. Whenever the Menorah is there, whenever the Shogun is there, face each other. Okay, period. Now, let's pause for a minute. Why did we tell people not to touch the, the Shogun? Why tell them not to touch the Shogun? Because it's got to be there. Okay? It's got to be there, and if it becomes Tomei, what's going to happen? Not going to be there. You have to take it off to the mikvah. Now the Gemara is going to start a very long question that's going to take us down to the bottom of the Amr. Okay? And the Gemara is going to ask, why are we saying they shouldn't touch the menorah? Because it needs to be there. The men- I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, the shulchan. 
Why do we say don't touch the shulchan when it needs to be there? Says the Gemara, one second. The shulchan should not be capable of becoming Tameh in the first place. And I'll tell you why. Here we go. Says the Gemara. The tapokli, we should learn out. The kli eats ha'asu The shulchan, which was primarily made out of wood. The law of wood is, the halacha of wood is, that wood that's not meant to be moved, and is the shulchan meant to be moved? No, we just said it needs to be in its place, always. Wood that's meant to remain in its place, the chokli eats is not capable of becoming tameh. It's considered part of the building. My taima, why? Why, why wood in particular? Because wood is similar to sack. Just like a sack. It's only become Tomei because it's carried, whether it's empty or whether it's full. I've called it So too, any vessel is only become Tomei, whether it's full or whether it's empty. But something that's not meant to be moved, like a sack, is not Tomei. So ask the Gemara, why are we telling people in our Mishnah, don't touch the Shulchan, it's going to become Tomei. No. It's, it's not going to become Tomei. Let people touch the Shulchan. Who cares? Says the Gemara, No, the table is considered carryable. You know why? What does it mean that on the shulchan, which is tohar? That seems to imply that the shulchan is capable of becoming tamay. Let's ask the same question on the verse. Why is the shulchan capable of becoming tamay? Isn't it primarily made out of wood and it's meant to be in one place? And therefore it's not capable of becoming toma. So why does it tell me? Ella rather rather listen to what happened. The table always stayed in its same location, but on a holiday they would lift up the table. Listen to this. All the Yidin are in the Beis Mikdash, And the Kahanim would lift up the table that had the 12 showbreads and present it to all the Yidin around the world who didn't have the opportunity to usually walk into the Beis Mikdash. And they would inspire these Jews, by showing them the lechem upon them on the table, and they would say, Re'u, see, chibaschem lefnei amakum, how much Hashem loves you. Silku kisidurai. You should know these breads stay fresh from Friday to Friday. Because I got this Baruch whose warmth and freshness for Klai Yisrael never ends. Dama Rabbi Shubh and Levi. Because Rabbi Shubh and Levi says, Nes gogol nasi lechem upon There's a miracle that happened with lechem upon him. Kisidurai kachsi lukai. The same way it went into the table, so too it was when it was removed. Same freshness, same warmth, hot out of the oven. Shenamar lasum lechem chaim Yeah, it was just as hot as it was the day that it was taken. So says the Gemara, in response, don't tell me the shulchan is considered immobile. It was moved. You know when it was moved? On the holidays when it was lifted up to show to all of Klal Yisrael. And therefore, it's Mechabal Okay. Well, if it's Mechabal so then we go back to what we said originally. Now it makes sense, as far as this reason at least is concerned, why they, people were told not to touch. Okay. Says the Gemara, fine. Say So as far as the wood inside is concerned, that's not going to protect it from becoming tummy. But, says the Gemara, Why don't we say the reason why it could become tummy is because the shulchan wasn't just wood. We know that it was covered in gold. 
Can gold become Tameh? You betcha. The Tanami learned in the Mishnah. Hashulchan, the Shulchan itself, the Hadofaki, and the chair, and a chair, that part of it got cut off. Or it's coated in marble. Now, marble is stone and it's not Makabal Tomah. Okay? But after the marble is cut off of this wooden table or chair, there was a wooden place to place your cup. Tame. It could become Tame. You understand the case? Let's, let's explain. You have a wooden table or a wooden chair. You now, it could even be, right? Now you coat it in marble. Marbles not, cannot become Tame. But there's an area in the marble that you leave available for your cup. That area is capable of becoming tummy. So now there's ability for it to become tummy. So, Rabbi Yehuda Aymer, however, Rabbi Yehuda says, Mokum Hanochas Hachatiches, that it has to stay with the place where you're actually left away from the Shayish, you left the marble away, so that you can place things down. Okay, now, that's why it's not considered a stone vessel, and therefore it's capable of, of a becoming tummy. Be it as it may, why are we quoting this Mishnah in Kalim? Because you see from here that if you have something that's makabal tumah, capable of becoming tumah, and you coat it, you plate it with something that's not makabal tumah, you follow the plating. If marble would be all over this thing, it wouldn't be makabal tumah. So, says the Gemara a question. The shulchan... Even if it's wood, even if it's left in one place, the bottom line is it's coated in gold. So it should take on the status of gold. So why are we saying, no, the reason why it's capable of becoming Tameh is because they would lift it up on a holiday. We should say the reason why it could become Tameh is because it's gold. It's, it's metal. It's gold. That's the Gemara's question. To which the Gemara, the Gemara says... And if you're going to say, again, there's going to be a few lines till we get to the answer. Then you're going to say, the Shittim wood, which is expensive wood. Okay? That the Shulchan and the base Mishra is made out of. That's valuable. And therefore, we'll say, oh, when you plate it, it follows the plating. Give me a break. You know how much Shittim wood costs? Much more valuable. You're going to tell me the Shittim wood is, is secondary to the golden plating? Bah! Nah! Okay, so if you if you say like Reish Lakish, then it all makes sense. The Chumar only saying there halacha about the cheaper wood that you get from overseas. Okay, But when it comes to valuable wood, So then the gold plating is not secondary. Shapir, that'll all make sense. Fine. Ella, the Rabbi Yechinon, but according to Rish Lakish's brother-in-law, Rabbi Yechinon, to Omar, who says, I feel a bit clay, mismis, nami butli, even if it's a valuable wood. It should, the, even if it's valuable wood, you follow the plating. Michael and Maymar, what are you going to say? Meaning, why don't we give the reason that it's tummy because of the plating? Okay? V'chi tema. We're still looking for an answer. Why is the plating not causing the tumma? And if you're going to say, anyway, maybe there's a difference between, uh, between plating that is nailed in and plating that's not nailed in. Oh, boy, I'm going to ask a question to Rabbi Echnam. 
Are we dealing with, with metal uh, plating that is nailed or not? Are we dealing with when, it com- when the coating, the, the plating, completely comes over the, the sides as well? It doesn't just lay on top. It also bends over the edges or not. In other words, at what point do we say that the vessel follows the plating? How much plating needs to be there? The Yomar said, It does make a difference, you know, whether it goes over the edges or not. I'm sorry, there's no difference whether it's, it's uh, nailed in. No difference whether it comes over the edging or not. Okay, so the bottom line is, this is all one long question. What was the long question, as we said? Why is the reason that we're giving for the Shulchan being Mechabal Tumad, that we need to tell people stay away. Why is the reason? Because they lifted it up. We should say, you know why the Shulchan's Mechabal Tumah? You know why it's capable of becoming Tumah? Because of the plating that was all over. To which the Gemara says, okay, Ella, rather, shiny Shulchan. A Shulchan's going to have a different status, a different halacha. You know why? The Rachmana Karya eats Because the Torah, usually by a vessel, it's secondary to its, the, the, it's secondary to the plating, but not a shulchan. You know why? Because the Torah calls the shulchan while it's plated wood, so that means it's not metal. The Torah says it's still called eights. In other words, it's a chiddush by shulchan, still called eights, despite everything we said. Tuchsivka says in the Torah, Hamizbeach eights shalish amis gavaya. The mizbeach, the altar, was was wood. Three amas high, the arkoy and its length, shteim amas, was two amas, umiktsayas lai, and the corners uh, of it, the arkoy, the kiris eight, were also made out of wood, vayidabarelai zeh hashulchan hashem, and this is the shulchan. Now, by the way, this pasuk, one second, let's pause, we're talking about the mizbayach, and then we say this is the shulchan. Oh. Frek the Gemara, the Gemara asks, pasach be mizbayach vasiyam be shulchan. You started the pasuk telling me this is how the mizbayach was, and then you ended up calling it a table. Says the Gemara, well, such a beautiful Gemara to end off with for today. Listen to this. Rabbi Yechonah, Rabbi Shlokish, Tami Tavai, Rabbi Yechonah, Rabbi Shlokish, Taka agree for the first time today. No, 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 no. They, they agreed before also. Rabbi Shlokish asked his brother-in-law, but Rabbi Yechonah, Rabbi Shlokish, both say, Bizman Shabbat Samikdash, Kayim is Bech Mechapar Al-Adam. When the Bech Samikdash was around, what did a Yid have to atone the Mizbeach? But what do we have nowadays here? A person's table atones. What's a person's table? Says Rashi and says Taisvis. The way we take care of other people, our Shulchan is our Kapara. So this Pasuk is talking about the Shulchan. Why did we start out calling it a Mizbeach? To hint that even when there's not going to be a Mizbeach, and even when there's not going to be a Shulchan, your Shulchan becomes a Mizbeach. There's people who are very makbid. People very makbid on this. For children, not to let children crawl on a table. People don't jump on a table. Why? Mm. What do you say? It's like the Mizbech. Mm-hmm. A shulchan in our house, a dining room table, a kitchen table, has the holiness of a Mizbech. Because these tables are used to take care of others. And I want to tell you something. This, this is an old minug. It's not my family minug, but my bubby parrot. My mother's mother, her leviah took place in front of her house. And her coffin was resting on her dining room table in front of her house. Yale, you know about this, right? There's an old Yiddish minik, there's an old Jewish minik that people have. Some people even take a piece of their dining room table to be buried with. They use it as their coffin. Uh, you're, you're on mute. You're on mute, Rabiel. I can't hear you. But there's a minik like this. Right, that's what I was going to say. They take the wood. They take the wood. The table. That's right. And make it into the 
Negev Vekofen, to take this chus and take the merits, because the shulchan is the mezbeach. Mamish. What a, what a beautiful idea, beautiful, beautiful Gemara. We'll hold it here for today. We're up to the two dots. Bez Hashem, we're going to be Zoycha to finish the Mesechta tomorrow and Gans Seder Mayid. Beautiful. Okay, have a wonderful, wonderful night, everybody.